I'm Autumn Brown, a queer science fiction writer, theologian, and a soon-to-be on sabbatical mother of dragons, living on Dakota and Anishinaabe land, currently known as Minneapolis. And I'm Adrienne Marie Brown, writer of stories and songs, emergent strategist, pleasure activist, and sci-fi writer, living in the land of the Shikori, Skurura, Tuscarora, and Lumbee peoples. And this is How to Survive the End of the World, our podcast about learning from apocalypse with grace, rigor, and curiosity. And this is a bonus episode that we had to slip in between seasons because a very exciting project that means a lot to both of us has entered the world this week. So the project is called Healing Justice Lineages, and we are blessed to have the co-authors, both of them, here today for basically a session of gushing and celebration. Um, So we wanted to welcome Kara Page and Erica Woodland to our podcast. Um, I'm going to get the shows for y'all, and then we're going to get into the conversation. So Kara Page, best voice on planet Earth. An incredible Audre Lorde scholar who was the executive director of the Audre Lorde Project for years. An artist and poet and theatrical thought maker. A healing justice co-dreamer and a co-creator of so many crucial justice projects, including Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective and most recently the Anti-Eugenics Project. And then Erica Woodland, who is the steady Capricorn with the most disarming smile, a gifted Mm. therapist, a gifted practitioner, fun to party with and a founder of the National Queer and Trans Therapist of Color Network. Hello, beloved listeners. This is Adrian coming to tell you I was wrong. Yes, I was wrong. I said Erica is a Capricorn. He is an Aries with Capricorn rising. So, understandable, as if you understand much about the rising signs. However... Aries is important. So, just a corrective, corrective little note here. Let's keep going. Love y'all. Welcome, y'all. We're so happy to have you here. Yes, thank you for inviting us. Honored to be here with all of you. We're really happy to have y'all here. Um, so, first and first and foremost. How are y'all doing? First and first and foremost. First and first and foremost. We just like to check in with everyone. Like there's a lot in motion in the world right now. And I know I particularly am in a tender place because we just found out that our comrade Jen Angel um, passed away yesterday um, after a robbery in Oakland. And so it's been a tender night. It's been a tender few days. Um, the robbery happened a few days ago. And but Jen's spirit is walking with us. She was an abolitionist. She was a freedom fighter. She, her family and friends have already said what, what we want to make sure is uplifted about her is mm-hmm. everything that she gave to community, everything that she did. Um, she was an incredible freedom fighter, an incredible social justice and direct action um, human. But then she also was a passionate baker and she opened Angel's Cupcakes and was a baker who mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. giving everybody the cupcakes and everybody's wedding cake and everything for years. It was just like a place of deep joy for her. Um, and she's, you know, her commitment is so deep that her family has already said, like, you know, they want justice to be restorative in this process and transformative in this process, whatever happens. I mean, it's just been incredible 
to yeah. see how the community has come together and how her values are showing up in every aspect of this, but there's also a lot of loss. It's yeah. a huge loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know for me that there's a tenderizing of that. Um, and then I'm, I'm here right now in the midst of something called a pancha karma, which is an Ayurvedic cleanse. So I've been moving a lot of trauma and memory and mm-hmm. mm, yeah, just passed out of my body mm-hmm. in a really intentional way. So it feels like exactly the, this is, you know, Autumn was like, should we cancel given this news about Jen? And I was like, actually, I want to be in the kind of conversation that is one that Jen would listen to and uplift and love and be in. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, that's how I'm entering the conversation today. Um, how about you, Kara? How are you coming in today? Well, I just want to offer power and strength to you and the community in this transformation, this transition um, of life. And I, um, I'm doing remarkably well despite all odds hey, <laughs> here in this I'm world. So I mean, this book is a gift um, for us, by us, with us, and I'm tremendously honored. We had a beautiful launch event on Wednesday for the Healing Justice Lineages book beginning. What am I saying? The tour. That's right. Yeah, the tour, the t- baby. The, the tour is, is is um is beginning is it feels like it's springing up and emerging mm. um, and I'm just very excited to be in conversation with y'all today in this in this vibration at this particular moment. I love that. Yes. Yeah. How about you, Erica? Today I'm arriving like very grounded and clear mm-hmm. and so full. I feel like this week has been just like a huge love offering, both like with the book being in the world and all the love and all the relationships that went into the project, but also all the love and affirmation that we're receiving because folks are really just ready for this conversation. And I I just feel like we're going to find more of our comrades through this process. Um, And I also feel deeply humbled. I just feel like I'm continuing to learn so much about myself. Um, I keep saying, if you write a book about healing justice, you're going to have to heal. I didn't exactly sign up for that part, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm trying to be a good student. I'm trying to be a good student. So it's been a week um, of just a lot of beauty and a lot of really hard work kind of coming to fruition. So I feel good and I'm excited to rest and celebrate this weekend. I love that. Thank you. Mm. What about you, sister? I'm so excited that I'm in ba- like barely containing, bare, bare, barely of containment. <laughs> Are you containing? <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not really. I'm just. I I'm having one of those moments that sometimes happens when we record the show where I'm feeling just. I can't believe I get to do this. You know, yeah. I can't believe that we get to be in this conversation. And yeah. um, Erica and Kara, you are both just um, have had such a profound impact on me and my work. Mm-hmm. So getting to be in this conversation with you this week um, yeah. just feels so, I'm so grateful. Um, I'm also, I am a little in the scatteredness of, um, of, 
parenting just in as much as I have a, a kid unexpectedly home today who's dealing with a migraine. Oh. Um, but she is settled in in her little couch nest thing that she has created for herself <laughs> with her manga and her water and her PB and J. So I, I think <laughs> like, I love that. I know which child it is. You know exactly which child it is. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not concerned about her, but it has been, a, the, the day has been a lot of um, kind of flowing in and out of being in conversation with people doing a little bit of work and then snuggling with her and then coming back into my office. Um, yeah, just, I'm in deep, deep gratitude y'all. Yeah. Well, this is mm-hmm. actually a good way to enter into the conversation because this book, Healing Justice Lineages, it's it opens with basically gratitude after gratitude after gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, I really mm-hmm. love that. That's how, like I just felt like I kept reading it. Oh, and, and now there's this kind of gratitude, and now there's this kind of gratitude, and just from the I wanted to offer y'all gratitude and thank you from the very first page of the book saying that it was dedicated to Harriet Tubman and Charity Hicks and your ancestors. I was immediately crying. I was just like, yes, thank you for uplifting charity in this way. And, and then continuing with that gratitude. And um, we wanted to start off getting to hear about the journey of this book from the conception of the book. We know this was a collectively authored process, which is always special. And what shows up, in the pages of this book spans geographies, traditions, communities, and both linear and nonlinear histories. So we wanted to hear as much as you want to share about that process and also how the process was, um, like the curation process was actually reflective of healing justice itself. Yes, yes, and yes. I'm gonna jump right in here, Erica. Can yeah. we riff? We can riff off this. Yeah, riff a riff. Um, I feel like more a jazz, uh, a jazz piece than yes. telling it all in solid paragraphs. But mm-hmm. um, I, I just, I just want to say the journey began with ancestors, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we are very clear that we had to honor Harriet Tubman on the journey as yeah. a healer, as a freedom fighter. Um, as an organizer, an abolitionist. And so um, we had to touch the land um, where she was birthed. Mm. And by way of Erica's ancestors, which I'll let him speak to, it just opened up that we went there. And I consider Maryland the South. So, you know, we started mm-hmm. our southern I'm all with you're definitely, you're not alone in that consideration. I, I would hope so, but okay. <laughs> Um, I think people need to pivot, but so we landed there and it felt very much like a continuation of the ancestral work we had done in the early 2000s in the South, Um, Mm. you know, pouring water to my ancestors born and raised in Georgia, who then became migrant sharecroppers who came up to the Northeast where I am now living. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the South, when we started the book, we had to remember how does the South draw on, draw forward and carry the water of ancestors and traditions and practice. Mm. So when I think about how the book began, it became very much a psalm, a, a continued memory, a prayer 
that was very much in dialogue and conversation with both of our ancestors. And then being conduits of all the communities that we touch, we had to invite others that we knew were grounded in healing justice, no matter how they named it, right? They decided mm. it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had to go to the South first. All right, who mm-hmm. in the South can can we gather your voices? We couldn't get everyone, you know? So yeah. we had to see, okay, well, who, who are we in relationship to? That's mm. very important mm-hmm. for us. How do those people we interview, how are they rooted in place? Place of movement, place of political abolition, place of region, geography, land, mm. and spirit, and spirit. Yeah. And so, and we really had to hold that balance, and I'll, I'll tip it back to you, Erica, but that balance of how do you hold story from so many people across regions about a collective lineage of care and healing as part of liberation, without feeling like you're not asking the right people or the right questions. Mm-hmm. And we had to trust our ancestors. We had to yeah. trust the people we were in relationship to, that they could hold the, the humility and grace to say, we are not the only ones, but we are the ones for right now. Yes. Right? Yeah. To be in that. this book and be a part of this weaving. And I am deeply honored that we were so... Um, graceful, I feel, and how we answered that calling and how we did that weaving. Beautiful, Kara, beautiful. You know, our relationship has been such an important container for the book as well. And so I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about, um, you know, the work that we have done together since 2015, 2016 around healing justice and, and Kara really bringing Healing Justice as a framework to the National Queer and Trans Therapists of Color Network. And then in 2020, we started doing a lot more work together around collective care and safety, kind of in the context of the intersecting crises, COVID, uprisings, and more. And I think we, through our work, 2020 and beyond, really started to sharpen our own thinking around healing justice and, you know, the conditions that... um, we're living in now are very similar, although not the same, to the conditions um, in which healing justice emerged. And so Mm. one of the things I think is really beautiful about this project is that um, the two of us answered a call, right? Um, We did not necessarily seek to birth this project, but we saw that there was a need. Um, We saw that there was an opportunity and we know that we're only here because of all of the many centuries of work and the thousands of people um, who continue to, to move this work forward. And so there's a level of integrity and intention that has always been at the core of this. And it's made it actually really easy to trust. Um, I, it's been really beautiful. Anytime I feel like we're, we feel like we're not aligned, we just come back to like, okay, first of all, what would Harry do? Yes. <laughs> that that yes. part. <laughs> yes. Um, but, yes. but also, like, really just trusting, like, we're the ones to bring this forward with all of these communities that we're a part of. And because the book is kind of the beginning of a larger intervention that we're hoping to seed, um, it's really beautiful to, to also know that we're going to gather more story together. Mm-hmm. Ooh, ooh. Yes, yes. Um, beautiful. Can I come in with a follow-up? 
Absolutely. Before we, before we had, we had another question we were going to ask, but I want just on the, this tip of seeding a larger intervention mm-hmm. and locating ourselves in time and geography. I wonder if you would be willing to unpack a little bit more, Erica, what you just said about how the conditions now are very similar to the conditions in which healing justice as a framework emerged. Because mm-hmm. I think that kind of the that reflexive ability to name like when when historical patterns are repeating themselves and why we actually yeah. have to return to more ancient strategies and ways um, mm-hmm. would probably be really helpful and instructive for our audience. Yeah. Yes. I think it's so important because in the book we we're really clear that time is not linear. And so if you're a student of the cycles of history, there's just, it's just a lot available to us in terms of resource, in terms of lessons learned. Um, And the level of uh, violence of this time, the surveillance, the control, the backlash, the organizing, the resistance, um, the innovation. I think we're in a Mm. moment where we actually have access to a lot of potentialities, right? And that can be horrific or it can be the best thing that we ever could imagine. Um, And one of the things that I've really appreciated about listening to Kara and Kindred talk about the political moment when HJ emerged is like, you know, almost 20 years later, there's things that we know that we've needed for the past two decades that we've yet to build, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do we use this opportunity to say like, no, actually we have to do something different. Um, yes. And we actually have to to get aligned around a political framework um, and being really clear about healing justice as a political framework and the movements of political frameworks that it's rooted upon um, to really clap back um, around co-optation and just the wholesale misuse of the framework, um, mm. you know, to kind of move us towards a more individualized self-care strategy that is lovely, but not rooted in our liberation. <laughs> mm. Yes, can I jump in? I mean, here's the tea. Okay. I have Tasty to say, tea. Tasty here's the tea. tea. Is that, um, so hot. <laughs> when Kitchen Southern Healing Justice Collective, a collective of healers, health practitioners, social workers, birth workers, cultural workers, all organizers in the South, uh, what we formed and started to wrestle with the political framework of healing justice, we were answering a call to movement in the early 2000s around everything Erica just threw down, right? And the question became, wait a minute, how did other Southern movements, Black and Brown, immigrant, refugee, queer, trans, gender nonconforming, uh, how did our people survive all the other attempted genocides, mm-hmm. all the other loss of campaigns and failure, all the other executions of our freedom fighters? Mm-hmm. How did we hold collective grief and trauma in those moments that is very generational in our cellular bones and bodies, right? Mm-hmm. And so to ask that question, then what emerged was, wait a minute, we're waiting for carceral strategies to tell us how to be well, physically, psychically, emotionally, spiritually, all right. Hmm. Um, when okay. we already know we have people in our lineages and legacies that were coranderas, uh, birth workers, root workers, doing this work for our collective survival, hold up, we got <laughs> medicine. <laughs> and people have co-opted it, stolen it, licensed it, surveilled it, bought oh, yeah. it, sold us back to us, right? Fast forward, 
when people started co-opting and commodifying Healing Justice, Kindred Southern Healing Justice Collective didn't have time to respond to that. We were just annoyed. We're like, oh, here we go again. You're going right. to take it out of the South. You're not going to make it feminist. You're not going to make it abolitionist. You're sure shit. not going to make it Black. So it's a, it's a wrap. So, and we didn't, that wasn't a call to action. That wasn't, yeah. I always used to say, that's not my problem. <laughs> but oh. fast forward, <laughs> I, met, I met visionaries <laughs> like Erica, who really pushed us. One, he came with such joy around the framework and was using it to organize insider outsider strategies with therapists and i was like mm. oh my goodness is this useful to you are you you're really gr- grounded in the principle the values of what we meant this is mm. fantastic and then when we met and started to to move through the strategy i thought oh not only are you meeting us where we were with it you're taking it the next level you're mm. imagining what the next iteration is and now we could do that together oh snap you know because yeah. kindred is still we're still here but we're in a deep reflective process well like mm. what happened what, where have we been where are we going and we weren't funded so we went on hiatus i'm just being real yeah yeah we couldn't get resources for days and we couldn't respond to the need of the crises that were arriving. But to work yeah. with Erica and then to see the ecosystem, oh. we were suddenly able to say, wait, it is my problem. <laughs> it is my concern. <laughs> if yeah. something we have grown and built and carried forward has been stolen, we've got to get it and take it back. And that's what yeah. this book does. It is memory, it's rememory, it's reclamation. Oh, mm. wow. Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, and this this actually does, I think, um, in a way, it, it does kind of dovetail with a question that we wanted to ask you about um, privatization. Yes. Oh. Um, and this is something that in my work I've been thinking about a lot about the, the narrative privatization that happens around um, violence, pain, terror, trauma, um, and just how our, how one of the ways that like individualism, the practice of individualism, the myth of individualism that is um, upholding structures of dominance and systems of supremacy gets reinscribed through our sense or our belief or our thinking that our violence is private to us mm-hmm. um, and yes. and that and that our healing is also private to us right, That's right. That's so right. i was i was noticing in aurora's ford which is so beautiful Hello, um, that she she Hello. talks about the that this as one of the essential frames right of within yeah. healing justice the notion that that our violence isn't private that we hurt and hurt each other because of oppression That's and right. that collective trauma is going to be healed through collective process. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find this to be such a challenging idea for people to accept. I was actually just facilitating a process Mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago with my own colleagues around violence and terror and noticed Mm -hmm. just even even within my own collegial space, the struggle that folks have with the notion of deprivatizing our, Mm. our violence experiences with violence. Um, 
So anyway, it provoked for me this question around what you've witnessed in your own organizing work as you're trying to um, help people do the rememory work. Yes. Um, and yes. drawing people into like a broader calling around what we are doing. I'm wondering what you've noticed about the 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 way that we maybe grasp onto our individual stories. Mm. Um, and mm. also what happens, like what have you seen happen when people are able to kind of break free of the of an individual orientation to pain and wounding? Oh, beautiful. Mm. Wow. That I know that question was like three so questions rich. in one. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was like, that's like a whole dissertation right there. Yes. That needs to happen. Yes. Um the the first thing it made me think about actually is how the mainstream mental health system contributes to that. So I'm like, right, I'm a therapist. You come and you talk to an individual person as an individual, but maybe in a couple or family about your problems mm -hmm. and in the kind of classic model, we're not tending to the context and conditions. Um, and, and in your role, you actually can't be in a more collective um, space around it, right? Because right. of confidentiality and all these, and all these pieces. Um, I think that not only is the violence not private, but it's by design, right? Mm -hmm. Our suffering is... <laughs> been completely ma manufactured to uphold racial capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's it's a tall ask for people to let go of their kind of individual experience of wounding in this context of like real scarcity at times, but also um, our the scarcity of imagination. Um, and we don't have enough spaces where people can both hold and be seen in their individual suffering inside of the collective there's just like mm. if you don't if, if it's not about me then i'm i'm being erased somehow right mm -hmm. um and, and even in my own healing experience it's like i have had periods where i've been very attached to and identified with my trauma with my wounding with my suffering mm -hmm. and there were benefits you know there were benefits that came along with that that i that are hard to admit and name Right. Oh yes. yes, you know I'm. I've experienced this, and you haven't, and so therefore, I don't know what prize you win. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, the prize of but attention. But I also think it's yeah. Yes, the prize yeah. of attention, yes. right? Yeah, and and kind of this like how we one up each other yeah. versus seeing the ways that um, this is happening to all of us, right? Yeah. And and another person's individual suffering and trauma and experience of violence is also affecting me. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot is possible mm -hmm. when we build out the spaces to transform trauma collectively, but a lot of folks don't know how to do that. Yeah. And the commitment that that takes, the training that that takes, the humility, the accountability, the relationship to elders. I mean, it's, it's really important work. And part of what I hope we can see through this project is more conversations about what it actually requires. Because this is not for play play. Like this is serious. <laughs> this is serious yeah. work. Mm -hmm. And it's our birthright. And yeah. you know, we need to have a plan and we need to know what we're doing and, and be responsible. Um, and I think there's so much available to us when we 
see ourselves as part of a collective and part of a lineage and part of a legacy. Yes. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. Beautifully said. I'm like, yes. I, I just I just want to add, because yeah. we haven't really said it, I just want to say healing justice is a political strategy that yeah. seeks to intervene, right, on generational trauma to build collective power towards resistance. Inside of that, the book reveals the different layers of what's possible by what we mean by that. And mm. one tool that we began using in the South by way of Southerners on New Ground and organizing in the South was looking at what is our relationship to land, to economies, to spiritual, cultural work, and to our bodies. And so riffing off of what Erica said, if we're exploring our relation, collective relationship to land that's not based on an individual capitalist agenda, mm -hmm. then we have to understand what is our interdependence that doesn't mm -hmm. isolate us and separate us out? And what is our interdependence to each other's bodies not to be your body, not to have your pain, but to understand how we are in relationship to each other's collective pain and how will we um, uphold a, a level of respect, integrity, and discovery around mm. what it means to take care of pain interdependently of each other. I think disability justice yeah. movement does this tremendously well, right? Mm -hmm. And asking the question, how will we take care of each other knowing we will have very different needs and we're not yeah. trying to build some monolithic idea of right. all this can be healed and all this means I'm unwell, right? That's impossible. We are multidimensional and we're not looking for a cure. We're looking for ways to value the ways we live in our shared experience, right? Mm. So I just want to, just to offer, like, how do we bust through the mythology of racial capitalism that yeah. fuels it, that fuels this notion? You can be fixed, you can be cured, you can be isolated from land, body, spirit, culture. Mm. This, mm -hmm. this, is, this is the myth that we have to reimagine which right. you beautifully said. Scarcity of imagination. Come on, Erica. Well, it makes me, I haven't, again, before I get to the question, I'm going to definitely ask you, it makes me want to have both of you just spill a little bit about your own lineages okay. inside of this, right? Because it yeah. is this, you know, I keep thinking of, we, we are in a time that feels like it's rich with, the frameworks we have needed for a long time. It's like these frameworks are coming in and it's not like, oh, we we figured this all out. It's like, no, we just figured out a way to talk to each other about what we have been doing right. and how we have been surviving and like what we can understand about this world. So we're rich with frameworks and mm -hmm. the frameworks are coming through particular bodies and through particular lineages yes. inside of a collective mm -hmm. cauldron. And I think that's very exciting. And I'm like, oh, don't get too tied to being the cauldron just let the thing, you know, let the good meal, let the good gumbo come through, whatever it is, right? So I'm curious a little bit about what you, you know, one of the favorite parts for me was getting to learn more about your, your lineages. And I wonder if you could share a little bit more about that. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the other lineages of the book. But like, what is your river? What is your journey? What is your lineage path into this healing justice framework, this moment? Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Should I jump in? What is yeah. my river? Come on. What is your river, baby? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Come on. You talking to a Pisces. You know, if you start with water. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. The Taurus moon that keeps me grounded mm. as much as possible. Yeah. And the sa- Sag rising. Okay. A little rage. <laughs> a little rage. And creation. I really want to do a Zen, uh, I mean, a Venn diagram of the astrology of certain frameworks and oh i would love like that. how many people in the healing justice work are like sag pisces cancer anyway there's just certain things that i'm like i'm really curious about interesting and capricorn yeah there's just like certain things i'm like interesting oh, more okay. tea more tea i like this moya and okay. i will make that book okay anyway. yes you will to be continued i love it moya. <laughs> um i want to say for myself um as a survivor of family mm. violence, as someone mm. who, as a, as a black child of mixed ancestry that witnessed violence in my home, mm. but did my damnedest to protect the notion of family because mm. I knew at a very young age, which I'm sure Autumn and Adrian Marie can appreciate is when you have the dynamic of a white person and a black person in your family um, as your parents and having to protect. Mm-hmm. I can't, people are like, how would you know the analysis? I was like, I knew in my gut that calling the police on my father with a white mother was not an option. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And, mm-hmm. and, and knowing and the dynamic of um, growing up in a very um, real constant um, waiting for the second shoe to drop, my discovery around trauma was very much based on protecting, defending, and witnessing. Mm. And so when I came into my own healing process, later in life, you know, in like my early 20s, and I watched how community would section off healing processes as, I'm not saying you don't need to go on your own individual journey around trauma, no doubt, but I was, I found it fascinating that you would talk about grief, let's say, of losing a freedom fighter and not talk about the ripple effect of witnessing of feeling the loss of the freedom fighter, right? Because mm. every time there was violence in my home, yeah. I wasn't being directly assaulted, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the witnessing, the grief, yes. the terror of not knowing what's coming next yes. changed my entire world. Yeah. Like for me as a as a as a black girl, I was always I was always ready <laughs> to run, you know? Yes. And then when shit came down even in my teens, when when certain stories would emerge and I was like, oh, this person in this house and in this house, you're all going through some shit, yes. but we're not organizing together collectively. It doesn't matter what your trauma is. You are still needing to be safe oh, and needing to have the mechanisms that care for you and build safety, right? Oh, now, everyone yeah. now would yeah. say, of course, blah, blah, blah. You could do a pod mapping or blah, blah. And I'm like, no, in 79, your shit was on analog. Your yeah. phone was right. on 
it was not on a computer. Yeah. You were out here on the end of a line waiting for someone to notice. Yeah. Yes. Right. And that is the reality and relationship I grew up in, in relationship yes. to violence, fear, care, safety. So I've got to say that lineage pulled into HIV AIDS, the mm. Black women's health movement in this country, the women of color health movement, mm. and then other movements that emerged like reproductive justice and disability justice and harm reduction, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Seeing seeing the relationship to safety and how people took care of each other yeah. saved my life. Shout out to Shira Hassan's I was like, Shira. Lives, right? <laughs> she, yes. speaks to it. she speaks to it. And I was like, yeah. yes. And that's what I was looking for when I became that sort of co-dreamer designer of healing justice. I was like, wait, there's something in between here, yeah. between the grief and the trauma and the revolutions we're holding. Yes. If we're not intentional about care and how we're building it collectively, we're going to be hanging out on the end of a line waiting mm. for someone to see or notice us. And I don't mm. ever want to create that again for the next generation. Oh, thank you. Mm. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. It's, yeah. I'm just like a little, like, a little teary-eyed. It's just so that's so beautiful. Oh, thank um, you, thank you, Kara and yes. Erica. We've been, we've been yes. tributaries. I love, I love this question. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, you know, for me, it all starts with my mama, uh, who was an ancestor. Um, she transitioned in 2006, and mm -hmm. I. Um, I come from a long line of mothers who don't live very long, oh, right? Oh, so her mom passed at 45, my great grandmother passed at 41, and there's this kind of theme around unresolved grief um, and the particular violence that is bestowed upon black women um, mm. in this country. Mm. And so what I, everything I learned about care and protection and, and the lengths that one will go to take care of your people, I learned that from her. Um, and I watched her sacrifice so much for her children mm. um, and my childhood was wild in the sense of like you know grew up in a small family single parent household and I went to a um, private all-girls school on the site of a former plantation and so my day-to-day -day experience was being at home sometimes the lights were not on sometimes it was government cheese sandwiches you know what mm -hmm. I mean Mm -hmm. delicious maybe not nutritious um and then going going to a place where there were very few black people um except for the custodial staff right um and seeing just so much wealth so much privilege mm -hmm. and we're just not going to name that this land was a plantation we're just not going to name that I'm like, um and yeah. <laughs> moving between just like vast privilege and then you know just seeing my black community where people were struggling and so yeah. as a young person I was just like this the math isn't mathing for me and I was I was very I would say like this isn't fair all the time and my mom would be like yeah the world is not fair mm. um and that's true but I was not willing to not do something about that like I was like right. no <laughs> yeah. I can't yes. I can't accept that that's unacceptable yeah. to me and I think I got to see a lot of the generational consequences of um, what it means to lose parents really early and not have strategies and traditions and practices around grief. 
And so mm-hmm. coming into my work, you know, I was already doing work around abolition, work around um, the liberation of political prisoners when I lost my mom. And I had I'd sat with so many survivors who were talking to me about their grief, who were talking to me about what it meant to like be in jail and lose your mom, right? Um, what it meant mm-hmm. to be on the street and lose your mom, what it meant to have like 15 years clean and lose your mom and then relapse and just to actually see people transform trauma and violence and grief in the most horrific circumstances and Mm. to really consider what is possible when our people have connection to each other and when we have when we can have deep connection to our traditions and practices Um, and it's why you know my mom never talked about her parents right Um, she was pregnant with me and she lost her father she was 26. She had oh, she had wow. lost both of her parents. By the time I was 26, I had lost both of my parents. So there's these like real clear patterns that I'm like, this is not a coincidence, right? Yeah. This is not a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And what we know is like, we're not going to get free if we don't also have our healing traditions mm-hmm. at the center of our political work. Um, and we're not going to be healed if we're not transforming the conditions. So those two things have always um, been very deeply woven inside of how I make meaning of the world and my work. Um, but a lot of what I come to understand about what I call exquisite care <laughs> is is from her and, and really watching um, the amount that she was willing to sacrifice because she wouldn't have called them political convictions, but she was just a, a person that was like, this is this is the right thing to do when we do the right thing. Mm, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and when yeah, other yeah. people are doing whatever they're doing, we still do the right thing. That's right. Um, well, so there's a there's a piece I think I in the book there's a line about like choosing integrity over belonging, which I don't want that to be the choice. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. with some of the things going on out here in these movement streets, <laughs> listen, we might have to choose integrity over going with the crowd. That's right. I mean, it's. I think I actually think it's how these frameworks get to come to light (laughs) because, um, you know, we are all emerging from a period of movement history that was so structured by philanthropy that Mm -hmm. literally everyone who has sort of burst through that and said, we don't fit into these silos and we don't want to compete with each other um, Mm -hmm. for one part of our community. um, But we want to start to see a holistic, these holistic frameworks that are like, this is a lens through which you can see the whole picture. So I think that yes. that choosing integrity yes. over belonging is what the common thread amongst people who are like, hold up, it's this whole other way of seeing it actually. Yes. Um, and I love the way y'all have structured the storytelling of this, like structured these lineages, because it is, mm. you are setting a boundary with this text and it feels like you're setting a boundary in a way that's like, we'll take you back. So you understand why we need the boundary. We'll take you to the root system of the boundary and then we'll let you understand what we've been practicing and what you can practice and how you can honor this. It's really a gorgeous structure. Um, Mm. So we wanted to ask you if you would each choose a particular lineage that you'd like to uplift from the book to give our audience a taste of the riches that are on this table. Mm. Yes, there's there's so many lineages we we want to lift up um, or we do in the book. Yeah. Um, I think what I would what I would tap into <clears throat> is the relationship to um, all the movements 
care, liberatory strategies, healing traditions that happened on on the journey, right? Mm -hmm. So really giving the lineage of birth workers who literally are freedom fighters on the front lines during slavery, excuse me, birthing the next generation, right? Uh, Black black people literally saving our next generations or mm -hmm. choosing to abort, right? Mm -hmm. Using abortion as a tool for revolution. Again, Mm -hmm. freedom fighters at the front line Mm -hmm. saying, I will not birth you into slavery, right? Mm -hmm. So just drawing on that tradition as a healing tradition, looking at the Black Power Movement, um, the Chicano Power Movement, the Yellow Power Movement, Uh, AIM, you know, American Mm -hmm. Indian movement, how these different movements use care strategies, use collective care um, uh, uh, traditions, be they clinics like La Raza Clinic by the Brown Berets out in San Francisco, be they the uh, breakfast clinics, they weren't clinics, right? Uh, The um, community breakfast that Black Power Movement used. Mm I mean, the tradition of acupuncture as a practice to help decriminalize, right? People who were using, who were substance users, who were, you know, living their lives fully wanting to understand a political relationship to the use of care and a healing tradition inside of the Lincoln Detox Center, um, Mm -hmm. led by the Young Lords Mm -hmm. and and Black Panthers. So just we draw that lineage out and we know this history is hidden, right? Medical students don't get it. Therapists don't get it. Psychiatrists don't get it. Social workers don't get it. Organizers don't get it. Like we don't get this to hear this lineage and say, oh, wait, what? Where is birth? Where is that a revolution? Where are (laughs) detox clinics Mm -hmm. using healing and different apparatus and traditions of healing part of revolution? That's what this book honors and elevates and says, here we are. Here's the arc. Where are you inside of it? Yeah, because you are inside of it. Because you are inside of it. Yes. Knowing or not knowing. Knowing or not knowing. Our media conference, mm-hmm. insights, yes. um, yes. um, you know, doing the anti-violence, you know, abolitionist, yes. critical resistance, yes. you know, just sort of yes. lining, oh, here we are doing yes. liberatory practice with care inside of that. Yes. And that's the lineage. And we know that everyone, it will not be named, but yeah. we will continue the journey to add the names mm-hmm. and pour libations yes. and keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. That, I think for me, one of my, it's so hard because I love every nook and cranny of this book. Like, <laughs> It's just, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. One of my favorite chapters is um, I got to interview my elder, former Black Panther, former political prisoner, Marshall Eddie Conway. Um, And, you know, Eddie uh, and Dominique Conway, they're very much responsible for my political consciousness and my spiritual orientation in this work. And Mm -hmm. so being able to, to actually take a conversation that Eddie and I have had for the past 15 years in different ways about the work of the Panthers, about this work now, about, you know, healing justice as a framework. It was really, really beautiful to 
I feel like get some really clear downloads from an elder who's like, I've seen a lot of things, right? Yeah. Um, and he was incarcerated for 44 years, right? Mm-hmm. And, and was released in 2014. And so, and continued to organize, of course, right? And part of um, what he did when he got out is also continue to organize. So the work never stopped. But what Eddie taught me was he's he's a deep historian, right? Mm-hmm. So as a young person, you know, who thought I knew everything and was like, the revolution's happening right now. Don't be trying to tell me it's not. Um, <laughs> very patiently and lovingly, he got me together and was like, so look at these other periods in history where we have moments that were similar. What, what can we learn? Um, what can we learn? And also the present and the past are not exactly the same. And so the title of that chapter is don't give up and don't make the same mistakes, which I love because it's like, what are the things that we need? What are the relationships that we need to stay in this work and have longevity in this work? Right. Which to me is so core to this piece around what it means to be an organizer and a healer um, in this particular portal that we're in, but to also not completely glorify the things of the past. Like, there were a lot of issues inside of the work that was happening inside the Black Panthers mm. um, and the and the other radical groups of the 60s and 70s. And there were a lot of things that they did not, they could not have anticipated, like COINTELPRO, right? Yeah. And so that's also one of the pieces that I think is really important is that, you know, these freedom fighters, especially the ones who are still with us, they are... I think they're making it very clear <laughs> where we need to get corrected. And I don't, I don't know. A lot of people don't have access to those elders, mm. right. Um, for a number of reasons. And I think a lot of us are not um, moving with the level of respect that we need to have to elders. And, you know, sometimes elders need to get their, their stuff together as well. Um, yeah, which I think is part of the respect have... also. It's like when you respect exactly. people, you be in real relationship. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. And our relationship has been, you know, when I first met him, he was like, I want to be your mentor. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to be your mentor, because there's some things you need to learn about black feminine. I mean, who, why was I talking to this man like that? As (laughs) I know, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. (laughs) But what I appreciate about him is he loved that. He loved that. (laughs) <laughs> he loved my irreverence and he loved mm. that I stay willing to challenge him politically. Yeah. And I think that our relationship and that conversation was so beautiful because, you know, a lot of times he's like, you all, you all have tools that you can use that we didn't have. Right. And so we don't want to recreate the past, but we also need to, to take what has been useful and, and really um, reimagine what's possible. Wow. Oh man, literally, what would we do without our elders? There's something in what you just named too, Erica, that makes me think about how our, um, the context of these digital platforms reinforces the alienation from our elders, Mm. both both because of just, you know, generational patterns of who's using what platforms, but also because the way the platforms themselves function, they functionally, you know, keep us zoned out and, you know, alienated unto ourselves on our own little islands of content. And which, you know, I know that this is, I know you all talk about this in the book, right? The, that this is also part of the assessment of, 
why the boundary is needed for the healing justice framework because of this digital context in which we are working and how that has, how it is both the a resource that we have that previous generations of freedom fighters did not have and how also it's like a weapon that our lives are shaped around. <laughs> mm. And it makes me, one of the questions that we had for you all is about, you know, the hopes you are having in this moment for how this work is going to be received and used by organizers and practitioners. And, and I think the way I, we drafted the question was, you know, what are some of the wounds and challenges in our current movement moment that this is medicine for? Um, and I would love to hear you both speak to that, but there's something to, there's something really specific that you just named Erica about the way you framed it was you've witnessed people transforming trauma and grief in the most horrific of circumstances. And that has, I've been thinking about this, like the alchemy of, and the unique power that survivors have. And how we, how that, like how that interfaces with the the need to not pedestalize people, the need to not have our identities be structured around our pain, while also awakening to the alchemical, like magic and power that we have. <laughs> um, well. So I, I'm not able to form a specific question around it in this moment, but I hope you can hear what I'm trying, where I'm trying to go with this, which is like, it feels like we are, it feels like there is like a precipice we are approaching. Even as we recognize the patterns, the, a lot of the patterns we're living out in this current movement moment are patterns we've repeated many times over generations. There is a sort of precipice that we are at around our power. And I wonder how this book is meeting that. Or how you want Does it to. Make sense? Yeah. Or how you want it to meet that moment, that precipice. Because yeah. I, I, I want to just double down on this. I love in the book, you say who this book is for. And the, yeah. the range of who it's for was orgasmically <laughs> delightful to me. Like I was just like, <laughs> this is real. You're really saying like, we want, in a way, we want you all to, we want you all to see what our power could be yes yes yeah yes yeah. anyway yeah yes go ahead erica you start yeah. us off. i think what we want practitioners and organizers and just the broader community to know is like we have what we need to do things differently and if we are not telling the truth about the context and conditions of this moment and how it connects to the past then we will repeat it in the future so yeah. there's this, I think there's a larger theme around, you know, our process, which is like, it's really important that you know where things come from. <laughs> it's really important to offer. It's like, for me, it's like just regular standard black parenting that I know not everybody got, but it's like, you, you move with respect. <laughs> um, you don't steal things. Um, yeah. And you, you do your best to meet your unique contribution to this moment alongside everyone else. Yeah. And a lot of what we're, a lot of what I feel concerned about is folks are um, 
starting new things without being in relationship to things that already exist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's been a proliferation of things that have sprung up since 2020, a lot of which are in deep relationship to the lineage that we map in the book. And then there's, you know, I've had conversations with people who are like, yes, I I literally had my awakening in the summer of 2020. And by the fall, I had a nonprofit, you know? And Talk about it. I... Uh, okay, I don't even know that we need another it's nonprofit. Like, where did you get the money from? I think we need so many less. Uh, yes. Where do we? Where did you get the money from? <laughs> exactly. So I think that we are trying to invite people to align around um, a political and spiritual imperative, mm-hmm. and say we need so many different iterations of healing justice, collective care, and safety. But you have to know where things come from. Mm. And you have to make a commitment to be aligned around the political frameworks and movements. So you cannot be moving things and calling it HJ if it's not abolitionist, if it's not anti-capitalist, if it's not rooted in disability justice, transformative justice, environmental justice, um, reproductive justice, and liberatory harm reduction. Like, that's the mandate that we received from all the listening that we did for this project. Yeah. I think the last thing I want to just name here is um, because it's a hard moment. I I don't know about y'all, but like the pandemic is still out here pandemicking. And so I also am really struck by the level of ableism that's moving not only through our movements, but also through um, the work being held down by certain healing and spiritual practitioners. And I just Mm -hmm. want to note that like, that's not going to get us there. Right. And so I feel really excited to grapple with um, the ways ableism is moving through our work um, that are more subtle and, and more difficult to identify. Mm-hmm. And that's been one of the biggest learnings that I've had through this project. Is like, I'm like, oh, damn, like I knew I was really out here needing to get it together around ableism and healthism. But um, yeah. the more you sit with story, the more you sit with elders, the more you sit with examples, the more you see your own gaps and being mm-hmm. willing to work on those areas of development um, is really crucial to us getting free, but it's also really crucial to being aligned around um, healing justice. Yes. I'm so, I just am like yes. so grateful for the precision of how you just broke that down, Erica. Like I literally, I'm, I've been in conversation with all these people lately who are like, I'm struggling to make a living or make the living I should be able to make because of the ableism that is demanding that people be back in in-person events yes. um, in order to, mm-hmm. in order to, like for me, people are like, we yeah. won't pay you what your full amount is unless you come risk your life and your health and your well-being <laughs> and mm-hmm. put yourself mm-hmm. in great pain and great suffering and become completely inflamed. Then we will pay you the full amount. And I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. I'm staying home. Absolutely. I will find a different path. <laughs> but I'm not, a, there's so many of us now. And I, I'm just like, there. again, you know, whenever those moments happen, it's like, oh, we have to pull ourselves together into a conversation and make a whole framework because we can't just count on the humanity of this <laughs> moment because the humanity of this moment is steeped in ableism. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, right. Anyway, I'm just so grateful for you. The, 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 the precision. Kara. Yes, I, I do want to offer that to the point that we have been in this portal of a pandemic that when at the height of the pandemic, people were disrupting ways 
that mm-hmm. we are used to doing things and yes, we're willing right. to adapt yeah. in so many ways. Yeah. And these same institutions, corporate, social justice, went right back to where we were. And I was like, what? Where we were was never good enough for most mm-hmm. of us. Mm-hmm. So why are we plugging back in? Why? In, into that normalcy. I mean, the other element of healing justice is that we are also about disrupting the medical industrial complex and these ideas and concepts that create, as you said, healthism, Erica, this idea of healthy, who's healthy, um, this idea of who is um, whose bodies should be preserved and whose bodies are expendable, seen as criminal or dangerous. Surprise is us, right? right. Black and brown, queer and trans, disabled, incarcerated, you know, immigrant and refugee, so on and so forth people. Mm-hmm. So just to rename discipline and rigor for practitioners is key. And sometimes I get excited when I talk about the traditions of healing and care let me be clear everything we did should not be pulled forward everything we do should not be repeated if the work is not in relationship to our communities our land and our spirit and in very much what i'm asking for is asking permission from our elders our teachers and mentors we can't just pull forward without understanding can I do ritual literally on this land without asking permission for the, 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 the kinship that has lived and shepherded and tended to that land for centuries? Like it's really unpacking this relationship to who am I willing to be? Who do I need to ask? And who are my teachers? And they will change over a lifetime. I have multiple teachers who have taught me about healing and care. Some of them are disassociated from, excuse me, disconnected from because they were no longer formed, right? So, but, but still having to ask permission, still having to ask the question, where have I made mistakes? Where is my learning? And that I must stay in my own discipline and Mm. Right. And watching practitioners be uprooted from the communities or the places they are rooted in, saying that I'm here holding healing. And I'm like, are you like, (laughs) let's let's beg the question. How do we continue to evolve? Um, Because in many ways, even with how people are holding COVID, it's an example of how we're just going back. It's rote. It's. It's not, um, it doesn't ask the question, how will we continue to transform? This isn't static. There's not like right. a way to get there that when we land, that's the destination. Right. I like to say, people say, well, we can do collective care in nonprofits. I said, absolutely not, because that <laughs> presumes that nonprofits or our people's organizations are the destination. Getting free is not going to be in a fucking nonprofit. No. Don't ever rely on a state funded organization to give you all your care needs. That's Mm -hmm. not what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. We were saying disrupt the notion that we can't talk about care and safety in relationship to organizing, but we still need to disrupt the systems that are very much about monitoring Mm -hmm. and surveilling what your body is, what your disease is, what your ability is. We're not trying to repeat this. Yes. 
We're trying to get out of here. We're trying to disrupt. <laughs> them. We're trying to disrupt. Them. So. Wow. Oof. Yeah. Thank you so much. I feel so full from what y'all are offering, and I feel hopeful. I think this book is an incredible text, and you know, something I feel like I've learned about books is like. People read them at their own pace. People read them sometimes completely. People pick them up. And what I, I want to encourage people to do is buy this book, have it in your house, have it on your coffee table, have it in your bathroom, have it somewhere where people can pick it up because it's it's really beautiful the way their voices are woven together. It feels like you can just pick up and be like, oh, let me just drop in here and yes. see what I can get from Alexis and from Aurora. And, you know, for, like, let me just drop yes. in and, and there's something in here. There really is something in here for you. and. It's also, even if you might not read it till later, it's important for books like this that you buy it as soon as you can after it comes yes. out, because that's yes. how we make, we show people that Come we on. need books like this and, and we need mm. this particular book. And so I just wanted to like really tell people, like if you listen to this show and you respect Autumn and I and yes. you care about what we're talking about, buy this book. We're really putting ourselves behind it. Um, we really believe in, in both of you and we're so proud oh, of the yeah. labor and we're really grateful they all came here to talk with us about it. Um, let's flume. Let's get into our awe space. Ugh, yes. <laughs> flume of awe. Oh, let's flume away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm um, like, I never want to leave beautiful. this awe space. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like we really like to, you know, for a while, we were doing this section that was just about our rage. It was like really letting the rage out. I and we were that. like, yes. that was yes. necessary. And you know, that's still a good practice. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I do it often. But we yeah. really were like, what are we Now, we, now we just do that in WhatsApp to each other. Yes, yeah, so we're like, girl, <laughs> <laughs> I have rage. But we also thought in terms of what we're bringing into the collective space that we wanted to bring our attention to awe, like even mm, in these beautiful. pale times, even in these times that feel really disjointed, there's yes. still moments of deep awe. So right. um, does anyone have one that's like, my awe is right here and I'm ready to go? I I do. Okay. I absolutely Wait, do. Erica. So I, I feel like I spent a lot of time in the pandemic listening to podcasts. Mm. And I had not been listening to music. So recently I've actually asked people to like, curate playlists for me i'm like yeah. i need like a bad bitch playlist like yes, um but yes. dj emancipation created this beautiful sound healing journey um as part of our launch called the healing justice lineages playlist on spotify we will oh, send gorgeous. you the link yes. running we and, will put it in um, the show notes yes yes, yes. yes. and she played during the event at the beginning during the break and at the end and oh. it was next level so just like being in all of the texture all of the intergenerational wisdom i mean it's i'm living my best life and it's like three that. hours of music yeah, it's three hours three hours of music Beautiful. so it's giving me all it will give me all probably for the rest of my days because wow yes i was kind of kind of double down on the same thing. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous. I mean, I used to be a sound healer, so vibration is my is my oh, is my center. But this um yeah, this it's a magical piece. It's a it, it is a it's a tribute to the oh. sound and vibration of healing justice when you embody it. 
and oh. metabolize it, I'm telling you. Mm. Um, so I, I'm right there with you, Erica. I'm going All to right. Down. All right. How about y'all? Yeah. What you got? <laughs> well, well, I can I can share there. my my flume of awe is love feelings. Um, I'm in an experience right now where I'm getting to experience a lot of love feelings. That's all I'll say. And <laughs> and I love it. And it's like I just am having that part, the part of it where you just feel awake to like more. It's yes. like, oh, look at the light coming through the window. Oh, look at that branch dripping with water. Oh, this <laughs> coffee tastes so good. Like everything feels more, more, more. Oh, yes. Um, and I just love that we are built to love and that like there's a thing that, that this is a thing we get to experience. It's so yes. fucking cool. Yes. You better work. You better work. <laughs> it's, Yes. Yeah, it's, I'm yeah. like ablaze, and I'm very happy to be ablaze. Sagittarian yeah. love feelings bomb. Um, this makes your love feelings. I also Adam and I tend to do everything in parallel, and I'm also experiencing love feelings. So that also gives me awe that I'm always like, what? Like literally, if I call her, and I'm like, girl, guess what just happened? She's like, literally, me too. Anyway, that's, I'm like, give me my own life. We're on, moment, yes. we're on a spiritual journey. We're on a spiritual journey. We really, I mean, the universe put us together on purpose, but mm -hmm. I will say that um, awe is overflowing in me right now. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's the primary thing that I'm feeling. And a lot of it is for my own body. So yes. one thing that I often, when I feel love feelings, I'm swept away and my attention is all swept away. Right now it's like, love feelings are like this reverberation of like how much is yes. how much I'm loving myself mm. for real for real this time Gorgeous. and um you know I've fallen in love with myself at many like many times and now I'm like really choosing to love myself at a different level and mm. um just astounded by my capacity to heal astounded by how my body doesn't give up on me Yes. And yes. astounded yes. that my body's like, oh, are we, I mean, I can still go. Like, we can still do this, babe. Like, yes. you know, um, I, I can give you my best. And just, yeah, it's, it's, I keep waking up every day, especially because we have several colleagues who didn't make it to this age. And so I keep feeling into That's this. Right. And I'm like, I made it to this yeah. age. And yeah. um, I get to love my body. And some of them left us specific wisdom about loving ourselves right now on time. And that's I'm just right. like taking that in. So a lot of awe there. And then I just couldn't let this end without saying, I feel a lot of awe to pick up this book and have it be full of references to you, Autumn. Um, like I'm so proud to be a <laughs> yes. sister to you yeah. who are That's a part right. of this lineage Represent. and that I got yes. to like witness it, you know, witness as you were going through and learning the things that yes. lead to you being a part of this lineage. But it's also just really cool to be like, look at y'all, like look at this light shining on you. So um, yeah, yes. my... Well, I have to say, I have to say one of my <laughs> most formative moments as a healing justice organizer was my yes. very first call I ever had with Kara Page. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> we, the, debrief, who, the debrief. Who taught me, like, so I was, because I was, I was in early, I was in my early 20s. I was yes. totally the, like, I'm a radical anarchist organizer yes. doing alternative economies of care. And no yes. one's ever done anything like this before. And, <laughs> and Kara, 
Kara got me together. Kara was yeah. like, Kara was my person who was like, <laughs> and you know, and we 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 have had so few opportunities over the years to yes, reconnect with each other in person. But I want you yes. to know how formative that moment was for me wow, as an too. organizer to have someone be like, "Here's what a lineage is." <laughs> Just so you know, there's like, there's more here. And I was wow. like, got it. Okay. <laughs> I just sitting my ass down. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, that was yeah. it was very important. It was Thank very important. You. And that, that element of what you were naming, Erica, of like mm. having folks, what, what, for whatever sustained amount of time, like having folks mm. who are like, I'm not, I'm not giving up on you. Yes. I'm I, I'm awakened and excited by your That's excitement. Right. That's right. And also, here's some things you right. should know. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So thank you for naming that, Adrian, and thank you, Kara and Erica, for including yes. me and Rocked Absolutely. Up Collective Rocked in the work. Um, yeah, Rocked yeah. Up Forever. Wrapped up forever. And yeah. Allied Media Conference. <laughs> and yes, 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 the US Social Forum. Come on, Adrian, yes, you were up yes. in the mix. You were up yes. in the Adrian. Adrian, you have yes. stories from being on Absolutely. the floor. I do have <laughs> stories. And yeah. I mean, I really, I, you know, I think people, I, I, this is why it's so exciting to me that this book exists because I, mm. you know, I for years have told people, I'm like, I don't, you know, I have done organizing only because there have been people who are willing to care for me oh, along the way. Probably. I have been able yeah. to survive it. And particularly yeah. the U.S. Social Forum, I'm like, besides what was happening on the brilliant organizing level, which blew my mind and getting to work yes. side by side with charity and getting to work with all these like movement mm -hmm. heroes, yes. there was also a moment where I'm like, I'm falling apart and I can't do this. I, like yes. a human for cannot do this and I cannot do this. For context for our <laughs> listeners, I Thank just want to yes. name yes. that Adrian was the national coordinator of Thank the U.S. You. Social Forum in Detroit in 2010. Yes. Just so That's people right. understand, for our listeners like, who don't know that. that, why was she falling apart? Because she coordinated the entire fucking conference. Because we had, well, we had 20,000 people coming That's and right. we had 60 well. amazing organizations who were really heading in 60 different directions around how to help those 20,000 people have the most transformative political experience of their lives. Yes. And Kara and many others, there was a whole crew of people who came together and were like, we have to care for the bodies of the people who come to do this That's right. as this happens, like yes. fundamentally, <laughs> you yes. know? And, and yes. like, you can call this this, you can call this this, but like, we gotta do, and I was like, sure, theoretically, great, you know, awesome. <laughs> Let's do yes, great. You know, like, burger, burger, burger. like I'll make sure you have enough, you know, what you need. But then on like the third day of the conference, I was like, my body is not, I don't know yes. how to get to tomorrow. And I went mm. down into what that was this room, the healing justice, you know, room. And mm. I'll mm. never forget what I yes. felt like in that moment to be like, you, now you get to just be a body. And yes. right. we're just going to attend to that. We don't care what else you have to do. We don't care basically like who you are in the quote unquote sense, you know, like, oh, yes. you're the this. Yeah. It was just like, you're a body and you need our care right now. That's right. And I think we forget that all of our, anyone who's leading anything in our movement also needs to be held as a body mm. always. Mm. That's mm. like, you're a body mm. and you're doing something that's hard and you don't know what you're doing. Like, that's you know, right. I've never known right. what I was doing at any point when I was doing anything, <laughs> you know, that's yes. not how I tend to work. I'm not like, I got it. I'm like, right. <laughs> we need something different. Let's try this. So mm. I just want to, you know, I always say this. I'm like, my life has been saved many times, 
inside of the work and um and that you know i feel like a recipient of the lineage as much as as anything else right that i'm like um you know yeah <laughs> so and now you know like it there is this place where i'm like um the urgency of this time makes it like, oh, we need the hardcore political strategies like this. And it's like, right now, what we need is this deep lineage-based work. And it's a deep, we need a deeper, deeper breath. Wide. We deeper need a deeper, wide. slower, wider stance. Yes. We need to know that we've been here and we're not going anywhere. Like we, yes. we survived everything that's been thrown at us and gotten they stronger than anything. things. Right? So still here and stronger us. than ever. Right? Yes. So there's that. To me, the, the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, I think Harriet would love this, <laughs> you know? Like, I think she would love to know that I all this is happening. Would. And yeah. that gives me chills and that makes me feel like we're in the right place at the right time, you know? <laughs> so. Beautiful. Um, uh, powerful. Yeah. powerful. Erica, Kara, um, thank you for <laughs> shining your beautiful light onto this oh, world and yeah, offering yeah. this wisdom into this time and also just being so real about, mm. you know, what you are holding yes. as you're doing this work. Mm. Um, because I don't know, my assessment is that we need a lot more of that strong reality medicine. That's, that's right. <laughs> yes, yes, the medicine of reality. Yes. Yeah. Very, very good. So thank you. And thank you for, um, yeah, at the end of this momentous launch week being with us. We yes. are oh, it's so, a gift. Thank you. so it is Thank an honor. You. It is an honor to be able to um, uplift this work. So thank, thank you so yeah. much. Deep, 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 this, deep bows to both of space. you. Yes, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. <laughs> Y'all are just awesome. And like, um, Kara, I can't believe Kara this. just told us we were brilliant. Oh my God. Okay, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, now I just have to do the rest of my day. All right, here we go. Here we go. Thanks for listening to our show. We're on Twitter and Instagram at End of the World PC. We're also on Facebook at End of the World Show, so long as they both shall live. <laughs> I was like, are we on Twitter anymore? Okay, you can make a sustaining donation to our show by visiting our page at patreon.com slash end of the world show. Another incredible thing you can do to help our show sustain itself is to write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are an iPhone person. Thank you. How to Survive the World is produced and edited by the incomparable Zach Rosen. Music to, for today's show comes from Tunde Alaniran and Mother Cyborg. 